One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Colon. I was mad. Yeah. It's September 11th, 2013. This is Idle Thumbs 123. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And I'm Sean Vanneman. And we talk about video games only on this podcast, so let's talk about video only games. Only the hottest new games. The hottest games. You actually came over and we played a video game. You guys both played a video game in my living room. That was really fun. You were there at separate times. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, okay, it's you okay to leave. Have, you have Chris, kind of a weird penthouse Chris, situation in. where you just invite peop- <laughs> rotating cast of people over to play video games while you observe them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And encourage them to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to encourage Not having you. enough fun. Guest. Do it. Have fun. It's not very fun. Did you have fun? Video playing video house. games is about having fun. <laughs> Are you having fun playing this video game? Are you morphing into a computer there? Outlast. We played Outlast. What'd you think? Um, it was it was interesting. There was definitely stuff I liked about it a lot. Yeah. Um, Jake and I were blown away for the first fifteen minutes of this oh, game. Chris, you, we just kept screaming at played, each other. You played later on. Yeah, he just picked up our save. You literally were like, like just revolving door. Okay. He came over. You left because you had to go to dinner. He came over for dinner. Yeah. And then we played. I, I would definitely. I would like to. <laughs> play it myself from the beginning it's probably so why don't you guys talk about it having first. seen the middle of it the beginning will probably have less impact on you but sure. we didn't we had no idea what was going mm-hmm. on um, oh man the beginning outlast is a first person like basically like haunted house game kind of right you play at, that's how you described it and that's about the best it way is to like, describe yeah, it. yeah yeah i mean i think I like it's games it, like that yeah yeah, yeah. haunted it's, house games well i think like in the it is an interactive preferred nomenclature is like survival horror but it's, yeah but i think haunted house game might be a better way to describe it's, it it's it's a survival horror game, but it's not like. I mean, it reminded me of Amnesia or something, right? I mean, it's. It was Amnesia, but not a lot of world puzzles. It was not more a lot of sneaking. World puzzles, not a lot of simulated stuff. It's very mm-hmm. much like you're kind of poking around and stuff's going on. You play as what is, I guess, like an investigative reporter, and the cool sort of core conceit of the game that gets you really excited when you first start it is that you have uh, like a handicam camcorder thing like with a you. High eight. Oh, no, it's HD, please. It's probably like HDV. Mm-hmm. Um, use the old, uh, but it has a night tapes. vision mode in it. Yeah, which it has is, night vision. And the you you regra- progressive scan plus the night vision is a very nice. Yeah, effect. looks really good. Looks really yeah, really good. You can use the camera to record events in the game, which add log entries and stuff. Which that is stuff feels really flimsy. To which me. is not as important as the fact that you can also use its night vision sensor to see in the dark, which is fucking yeah. freaky. And it's the, really the only thing that burns through your battery. Also, the mechanics of the camcorder are really, really good. Like, you use the D-pad to handle the... Um, zoom in and zoom the, in. Like, yeah, the, the servo to zoom control. But it sort of stutters, and the rate at which it zooms in and out feels very, very, very accurate to, like, crappy consumer camcorder yeah, no, totally. zoom lenses and stuff. Like, it just... Your 
muscle memory of how a crappy camcorder mm-hmm. works. Is the way as the zoom goes on more, it sort of picks up momentum. It picks up speed, yeah, like, and there's yeah. some hitches in there and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Some stuff is really good. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. You learn mm-hmm. the magic. And, and as you're taking yeah. it on and off with night vision, like just the way the shader of the night vision stuff's only applied to like what's the, on the screen, what the screen, your viewfinder you're looking yeah. through, like that stuff is sold really well. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, there is a like immediate finish to the game that is really really great through the how it feels to play and mm-hmm. this is what it's like to look around like the first i mean you and i just sort of obsessed over the fact that when you <coughs> ran there was like z wobble and it was really nice yeah it, it's it's one of what seems to be an increasing number of first person games that don't necessarily care about you punching guys or shooting guys mm-hmm. so they're able to do things like not worry about super super duper precision movement and like yeah it's it's cool to feel like you're inhabiting a guy. Like they don't, they don't mind putting a little extra noise on the camera walk. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like because Mata, it doesn't matter. Mia's Mata has some of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it has some of the. It, ha- it does have some of the physicsy stuff like Amnesia, but it's not as intense. They sort of have. Oh man, dumb detail that you. I don't know if you noticed, Chris, but I know it was another thing Sean and I were dorking out about. It. Ha- it. They're all about. They're all about hand your hand stuff. In this yeah, game, yeah, yeah. Very much like Far Cry Two, but the. Very much like Far Cry 2. Um, but the uh, the way that your guy will sort of naturally lean on walls or sort of put mm-hmm. his hand... Yeah, when you creep around a doorway and yeah, stuff. That yeah, stuff is yeah. really good. Creeping around a doorway and actually sort of it kind of passively Z-targets you once you're attached to that doorway so that you can roll mm-hmm. around to look around and stuff. That stuff, it was good. Yeah. It's super rare for first-person games to do stuff like that. I don't know if I've seen that very much. But the cheesiness ramps up way too fast, I think. It's funny because, yeah. I mean, this is a... Oh, I really... I don't want to level this criticism, but I, it's my honest opinion, is that I feel like a game that is in technically amazingly well executed is hamstrung by bad design. I think the game is just not incredibly well designed. I don't think... I think the pacing is funky. You're instantly horrified by the events going on inside this asylum within the first 10 minutes, and then it has nowhere else to go. Yeah. Except keep traversing through the space yeah. using the night vision mode to stay protected. Well, once we kept getting hiding. killed by like one of the big beefers, like it just it was beefing. It Were was, you there for the beefer song? That was a whole day of my I, life. I think so. Yeah. Song. But um, like at that point, it was the game lost a lot of tension for me. It was like, okay, right. I guess this is just what happens. Like I know it's going to keep happening. Yeah. And it, it wasn't really at the beginning of that game. I was I was hoping for a little more of a slow burn. Yeah. And I think like we got a few hours in overall i think and it sounds from some reviews like the game does open up a little bit more like you get you hit we're like areas four hours in okay we're pretty far i we remember for a while before you should because ollie who was yeah. on last week was playing and he said that he'd been reading some reviews that said that you end up getting outside and it's not as much like corridor laden and stuff but yeah we were just getting through the if when those first guys the first scares in that game to the game's credit that's yeah we lost our minds scared the fucking crap out of us but it was like 15 minutes in and then it is like okay cool you scared the crap out of me like you, there has to be some amazing creative anti-upping right. for that game to hold on to that and it probably isn't going to because like the stuff that freaked you out is the stuff that in a horror movie would be like the reveals in the third act like when you start opening doors and there's just nuts stuff inside of it that just blows your mind because you right. didn't expect to see it it's usually not 15 minutes into a story like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, and furthermore, you have these really great mechanics between sneaking around on the ground, and that, especially the one where you can look around a corner and then pee, continue to peek around a corner and then sort of roll around it really naturally. Yeah. But it's never used in practice in a way that 
like we never found a place to use that mechanic in a way to observe the game or respond to one of its like few systems. We also could have sucked at it. Who's to say? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's I don't know. The game, I, we were so high on it for the first forty-five minutes that I guess I'm just kind of bummed out that I ended up so low on it. Yeah. So I middled out to it being a great game that I, a good game that I would recommend playing, but. I'm not like yeah. It, there's enough. I'm not the Jake Gaga Ga face over it. Sure. No, no. I, yeah. I, that's basically how I felt. I played it less than you did, obviously, but yeah. that's basically where I. Landed. I think it's a game that's worth checking out to yeah, have totally. seen it because it's got so much unique stuff going mm-hmm. on in it. But it, yeah, I just I wish that stuff was in service of something that yeah, yeah. It was felt stronger at the core. But I, a lot of that yeah, all the technical stuff is really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. It's, it's yeah. There's a lot of really. It's also an stuff. Unreal game. That, uh, you don't. It's been a while since I played an Unreal first-person game. It feels like it has been. Bob, you it? Oh, yeah, never mind. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's felt like it had been a while. Yeah. I always just think of the third-person action games for some reason. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Also, Amnesia 2 shows up really soon. I know. Now. I mean, I guess by the time people listen to this, that game will just oh, be out come and open play. I have it preloaded, yeah. Oh, cool. Yep. Looking what a, forward to it. Yeah. What an interesting team-up. Oh, the Dear Esther plus yeah, yeah, Frictional? Yeah. Chinese Room and Frictional. That's really fascinating to me. It sounds like Frictional didn't do very much work on that game at yeah, all. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. They just basically handed it off to yeah. the Chinese Room. I mean, which is still, I think, pretty interesting and weird. for Like, in an, in a in this space, right? Like, in the sort of indie space, that's a pretty unusual situation. Yep. A thing that is would be pretty fantastic but is unlikely would be for this game to do well enough that Frictional says, okay, we're doing a third Amnesia, but then they just find another team of people to give it to. That would make me really happy, actually. That would be really cool. Yeah. If the Amnesia series just became a weird collection of of notable indie developers doing weird stuff. Just a like transient property? Yeah. <laughs> tra- hmm. Chris, why is your phone having a conniption? Because I guess I set my alarm for 8.55 p.m. rather than 8.55 a.m., and I got this fucking alarm that makes you shake it until it stops working so that I would wake myself up in the morning because I never fucking get up. I was going to say this shouldn't be on the podcast, but that little tidbit into your life <laughs> should definitely be on the podcast. Yeah. You I have to the, shake the, it. The flashlight going on and off on your phone and you violently shaking it around. You're like, God damn it. Like, what's Just happening? swearing. You turn into an old man who doesn't know how phones work. <laughs> wow. I think it's fine now. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about What's that. What's this? The Outlast? Is that the name of this thing? Outlast. Yeah. It's a weird name for a game, and it made... You had a heart. You've never remembered I it. I can't remember because it's it's such a non-name kind of in a way, but you mistakenly thought that the game actually had, like, was a permadeath multiple run yeah. thing because the it was called was Outlast. To, so well, you, and not only that, it says, drive to stay alive for as long as, long as, as you, you can. can. Yeah, like, oh, how long we stay yeah. alive for? What an incredible game. Like a, like a linear, like not a linear, but a first person uh, narrative experience where the goal is to just stay alive. These guys did enough interesting stuff in Outlast that I think it would be cool if they were then put under the care of Frictional to make the third Amnesia game. I'd be super happy mm. with that if, the, if that same thing happened again. Why not? They probably slided in like to hell. <laughs> Maybe they that. made God. this game. <laughs> if Amnesia uh, became a weird like showcase for... Yeah, that's yeah, what I was saying when you were shaking your phone like a fucking weirdo. So what if Outlast exists because these guys smelled uh, a machine for pigs and they think it's now like the... Uh, it's like the portal <laughs> thing they where... Smelled it, a machine if for they pigs, smelled gross. a machine for pigs, Well, like... Getting title, by the way, really grosses me out. Oh, I love it. I think it's amazing. Oh, I love it, but it really like gets inside. We're frictional to do a third 
this is your venue for doing a high pro- a high profile unique take on first person survival horror if they did yeah. amnesia animation for pigs and a third one there would just suddenly then be digipin games and like it would do, right. it would do the <laughs> portal true. thing where like yeah, yeah, every, yeah. every that's every now what everybody project is like yeah. we're going to do a weird kind of systemic kind of experiential first horror person. game yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. hopefully that happens because that would be a weird new thing to happen yeah i would actually be super into that if people like yeah, because, that just became the new thing. Because the the first person sort of frictional influenced horror genre is a place where people are doing a lot of really interesting non combat stuff yeah. inside of the first person space. So right. like, yeah, once it's a it's sort of an excuse to not put combat in your game. Yeah, you because can pay people, attention to weird sort of intimate moments. Yeah, yeah. With, not, with not the big beaver. Yeah. You gotta watch out for that big beaver. This game does have full frontal male nudity. I liked that a lot. Like I know that sounds fucking stupid, but like whatever. Like it was just it was unusual, right? Like it was was an really really unusual. We came into a corridor and there were two guys, like two brothers, the the Dong Bros, as we then called them, who were standing behind a gate, just full frontal nudity, each holding weapons, kind of having a nice polite conversation. Yeah, they're just talking with you. Who's going to kill you first? Yeah, they're talking with you lucidly. Yeah. You know, which uh, I don't know how much of that there was in the game as a whole, but like it was. They started killing us right there at the end, remember? They found us. No, no, us. no, I know that, but I mean like. Oh, you mean lucid conversation? Yeah. A yeah, little yeah. bit. There was yeah. like sort of like the, the cult leader guy who yeah. talks to Oh, right, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. But he's like crazed. He's a little, he's a little, like he's these, kind of a maniac. Yeah. yeah, like these, they were talking, these guys were talking to you very like calmly, mm-hmm. which I thought was really like yeah. good choice. Fully nude. Yeah, just standing there basically. It was, I don't know, I thought that was like very. It was kind of unsettling and weird and interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. This game has enough stuff like that in it where you just want it to be like a transcendent experience. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why. Yeah, I yeah. think that's... No, I agree. I agree. That's where my review is. Yeah. Yeah. I've basically just playing, been playing Spelunky more. I know. I see it. I've become so... Oh, Spelunky got you. It really got me. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Spelunky was the game that I predicted would get you, and then it seemed like I was going to be proven wrong at every turn, but it's finally... It's finally, finally did it. It got yes. there. Finally Delicious. Got I got to the... Are you doing the daily challenge? I, I usually forget, because it's actually kind of annoying, because when you... It takes so long to get into the game just going through the normal menus that I always just do the, like, skip straight into the game from the main... Like, as soon as you start up the game... In the first, like, 10 seconds, you have the option to just press a button and go straight into a game. So I always just do that, because otherwise it takes forever Man, to so go through all the... they need a second the... button to go straight into the daily yeah, challenge. And do. then they need to get rid of all the other menus and just make that the menu. Well, what they need to do... Well, because right now, the way it is, you can go straight into the game, then when you die, you can press a button to just restart mm-hmm. without yeah. going through all the menus. What they should do is have a button that goes straight to the challenge. Once you die from the challenge, it should be one button to go straight into the regular game. Right. Because so that's the flow that I want. You want to just try the challenge... Then do whatever go on you with do, life. and then just play a couple more rounds. That's that's what I want the flow to be. But anyway, so as because it's not that, I always forget about the challenge and just do the normal game. But whatever, it's really good. Did you play it on the Vita? Wait, I no, did. Yeah, it was good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Playing it on I'm, the Vita. Sorry, I, I'm going to talk. Like, oh, that's fine. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm going to talk about a video game. Please talk about it. There's not. Oh, well, there's not much to say. <laughs> no, playing Spelunky on the Vita is basically. I mean, it's I think probably what everyone says, but it it is what your brain imagines what your brain remembers all old handheld games looking like right? none of those <laughs> yeah, exactly. like or it's yeah. like what your childhood brain would extrapolate what a Nintendo game would become in your hand in 2013 yeah, yeah. sure yeah, yeah. but yeah I haven't played no, it, feels, it felt good I haven't played a the handheld Vita's game nice like that hardware. Uh-huh. In, it's really impressive Fucking Vita TV. Did, yeah, you, did you guys see, see that, that thing today? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Oh, I've seen those letters all in a row, but I don't know what you they mean. You saw fucking Vita TV? I'm actually stupidly excited about Vita TV because I'm a sucker for cheap set-top boxes. 
But, Did you get an uh, ooyah? I'm not going to get an ooyah. Now you don't need to because <laughs> this exists. Oh, my God. Vita TV, 100 bucks. It's the hardware of a Vita with an HDMI out, a Vita card slot, and it Bluetooth pairs to uh, DualShock 3. That's it. It has Netflix and all the other streaming crap that everything else has, but then it just has the PlayStation Store for Vita, and it has a Vita cartridge reader. So the thing that it doesn't have, it doesn't have the two-sided touchscreen, so any games that require that, you can't play on it. Although people are saying there's the potential that when the DualShock 4 comes out with the PS4, it's going to have a touchscreen built into that. Oh, right. Um, But for right now, like, Mm -hmm. if there's PSN games that you have wanted to play but don't want to own a PSN or a, 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 via, a Vita, excuse me. Do you have the opportunity, potentially, maybe, if it comes out here, to do that for 100 Has it not bucks? been announced here? I think, it, I, don't, I didn't pay enough attention. I think it was announced in Japan, but the oh. prices that I kept seeing quoted were in dollars. Wait, so what cheap set-top boxes are you a fan of? What does that mean? Like, I had an Apple TV for a while. I have a Roku. Um, oh, okay. I ran the boxy thing, uh, which is another like set-top box OS on a small computer that I had plugged in for a while. I have a Mac Mini plugged into my TV now. Uh-huh. Like, I just like a lot of that stuff. I think it's interesting, and I keep uh-huh. waiting for someone to do one that actually... I don't know. There, it's a weird. It's a weird space, because you, you have the hardware that's just about the same level of technical competency as a cell phone, right. but it plugs into a TV. Yeah. I haven't really bought the gaming-related ones much because they always seem slightly too janky technically too to actually yeah, yeah, yeah. like do anything other than run a Super Nintendo emulator. But right, right. one with the hardware of the Vita is actually like yeah, a hundred bucks for that. That's no, it seems like it seems like, really smart. Yeah, Nintendo has to be kind of weirded out by it. Yeah, because that's probably technically on par with the hardware of the. Wii U? Is, I have no idea. It's got to be a, in that sure, general, general, general ballpark. Ball right yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, the that was a surprise. Like, it looks tiny. It looks the size of a cell phone. It's yeah, no, it's, it's really, I mean, it's it makes... Like you just have an invisible PlayStation that hides in your home yeah. entertainment system. Yeah, it's a super good move. It's really smart. Yeah, like, I guess probably hardware-wise, it must split the difference between the PS2 and PS3. I don't know. It's a, well, anyway, it was a, it's a weird thing to see. Yeah. Also, the comments on Kotaku... Mm-hmm. God, that's so funny. I was just reading them. Here's, why? So that's, that's, I scrolled down and I went like, said, why, why am I reading this? <laughs> the, 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 like, the bubbled to the top sentiments on Kotaku revealed that I my brain does not work the way that some people who play and consume video games do. I know, do. right? Why, why? What are they it's saying? Just, it's saying? My face went like this. Just, uh, it's uh, like, way to go, Sony. Way to cannibalize sales from your handheld. What? Why would like they... They've got this handheld that's already saying to let me play Vita titles with a DualShock, my TV, and it's only $100? Why would one need to buy a Vita then? Sony can't be so stupid as to build a device that renders their struggling new handheld obsolete a year after launch, can they? That's nuts because this... Okay. You underestimate just how stupid this is. It seems like it's actually really (laughs) fucking smart. It seems like what Sony is doing is building an ecosystem for people who like really high-end stuff. Like, if you don't... Absolutely. Because the other thing that they said that the uh, Vita TV is going to be able to do is stream over your network PlayStation 4 games from a PlayStation 4 somewhere else in your house because Mm -hmm. the PS4 has the streaming server thing in it. So you have a PS4 somewhere else, and then in, like, whatever, your kid's other room, you put a $100 other thing that plays the same games that's on their handheld and plays the main console games. Like, it's $100, like... I don't know. It seems like it's very silently doing the thing that Apple is really successfully successful at. So it's 
it seems like it's the opposite of cannibalizing. No, it's really smart. I guess if you're a person who can only afford one Sony thing, obviously, yes, you would probably cons- consider this very heavily over the Vita. Also, yeah. but well, not, I, I, I also going to be an ad for. A I lot also of wouldn't consider a Vita, but would consider this. Yes, right, right. exactly. So, they're, dis- I mean, they're a different consumer mindset. Like, yeah, but which I guess is what those, which I guess nuts. is what those people in the comments. Are upset about, but I don't see why. I right. mean, someone making a game for this I, will still play about, on the Vita. Yeah, zero percent chance that I was ever going to buy a Vita, but there is a chance that I would buy a Vita TV right. because it's a hundred dollars and yeah, it's uh, exactly a library of games. Also, I got to stop talking about the stupid Vita TV. No, keep going. But it is—it's totally surprising to me that it is a major console publisher. So Sorry, there's a biker bar near us. Um, <laughs> There's a major console hardware publisher that's putting out a completely hardware-compatible second piece of hardware. It's not often that there's a completely oh, yeah. no, compatible game library like Has this. that ever happened? I'm sure it has. I mean, I think... I guess it depends if you count weird things like the PSX and shit like that. Yeah, and I think there was an early Sega handheld that was actually just a Master System. Oh, right. I think, I think you're but, right. But, like, it's not a common Yeah, it's thing. pretty rare. It's a nice-looking little... Yeah. The hardware. Anyway, you were talking about Spelunky before I got. Oh yeah, no, I mean I, I don't have TV. Yeah, no, I, I don't have too much else to say about. It. Oh, I got Spelunky to the. I got to the finally the um, <gasps> ice levels for the first time. I got there a few times now. You got to the ice levels. It's weird. It becomes like a different game. It becomes this crazy bonkers. Like, have you guys played Spelunky? Have yeah, I just haven't gotten to the ice level. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, only, like I've only ever gotten. I think I got almost like the, the, end jungles, of the jungle. And yeah. Like the jungles are, you know, they have they have weird shit that the that the whatever the first caves, whatever they are, don't have. But but the suddenly you get to the you get to the ice levels and it's like, what the fuck is going on? There's like UFOs and psychic yetis and like all this crazy shit <laughs> bouncing around. You're like, what the hell just happened in this video game? It's crazy. It, it's weird. I don't know how I feel about it. I like it. It's good, but it's it's. When I say I don't know how I feel about it, that's only that's not like an objective, like quality thing it's just a function of me getting to it still quite rarely right so when i do every time i learn something it basically means i die right it's like oh is that thing gonna hurt me like i need to know so if you it's haven't gonna... unlocked the like the guy who can build you a little tunnel down or whatever not to that part okay or wait no not to that part I have it to the I have it to the jungles. I think. Okay. Do you have to like complete an area? Yeah. He you, he like pops up and says, "Give me this," and then I can build a tunnel. But sometimes I don't have the thing. But in any case, whatever. Um, but like, in order to learn things, you kind of have to die because a lot of the things, it's you look at them and it's not quite clear if they're fatal right. or not, especially in that level because so many things are weird, like just particle effects and shit, or just weird effects. And uh, but I need to know. I need to risk it because. Otherwise, I'll just play every time, it, like avoiding everything out of fear, right. which is not productive either. So half the time you try something and it's like, well, shit, I'm dead now. I'm probably not going to see that for like six more playthroughs because right. I'm probably not going to make it that far because I'm not good enough to make it there every time. Um, so it's weird. So like my – as is as is often the case in, in permadeath games like this, or I mean, you know, my my curve, my learning curve is like tapering very – steep like sl- right, it's, right, it's right. becoming very flat at this point you, you know a new thing every like yeah six seven, exactly eight right, yeah. right right i played a lot of spelunky last week because of oh, yeah? all these vita yeah uh-huh. maybe like four hours maybe five hours that's a lot that's for me not a lot it's <laughs> a lot for me i know but yeah. you play dota like right like at a level that because that's the thing you're into right like you play i don't know i don't, I don't know 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like for me, Spelunky is what Dota is for you, at least right now. I'm gonna. I'm it's gonna, a highly competitive worldwide. No. Uh, I'm in a really weird esport. No, you know although there are this. people who are. This. Okay, give me like 30 seconds to, okay. to, to finish out. There are people. Apparently, guess, I went to dinner with a bunch of, um, uh, you know, really just cool people. That we we probably cool all know. At, I just mean like Tom Francis of Gunpoint and like He's just cool. you know Steve and and like Nika Harper, who you guys used to work with, and, and people like that, uh, like Anthony Birch from Gearbox, and okay. um, uh, and like and anyway, I guess they do. They all do like daily streams and recordings of their um, Spelunky daily challenges. And it's like a whole – I even – I wasn't aware of this until I was talking about it with them, that this is a thing people do. Um, but, I mean, it definitely sounds like it. it is its own sort of community and competitive thing. Yeah. There's Steam leaderboards and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. It sounded really fun. It sounded like a cool – I haven't done that. Spelunky daily challenge but. is a big thing like inside of itself. I mean there's, just, yeah. there's a ton of people who are really into it. Yeah. That's why I was wondering if you would – gotten to it no i i just keep forgetting about it. I, I should i should do it every day i just always forget anyway what were you gonna say about dota you lost it already i didn't lose it but i lost the i lost the mo oh i'm sorry no 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 no, no. it's not your fault it's my own fault if you even bring it up it's about how you've given up dota for good i'm in a really weird place with it though Mm-hmm. yeah how, how much have you played recently i don't know probably since last podcast five or six matches wow yeah fewer than one matches per day yeah I, I mean i was working a lot last week sure i played like two today i woke up at 6 30 so got a couple of matches in before <laughs> you gotta do long it. day but i don't know i'm in a really weird spot with the game mm-hmm. i just realize i'm i'm in that spot where i just feel like i'm just bad at it i'm now just not good at the game like you're worse or you're just realizing how much better you theoretically could be? Yeah, I think it's like getting insight into mm. the minutiae of the game mm-hmm. and losing a lot and making really boneheaded decisions. I made some boneheaded decisions. You're like, you're like the sort of, I don't know, college athlete who realizes like they're not going to Yes, and now I'm just like, what do I majors? do? Just go back and work on the farm? Like, what am I going to do here? Yeah. I had a whole thing, I had a whole plan. Yeah. Well, it's a video game. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. That's what you're supposed to say when I say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I feel like I kind of got that way with StarCraft 2 when Nick and I were playing a lot. Like, it's kind of sad, like, right? A year or two ago. Yeah, like, like we kind of got to a point. You're not sad, but like a, like, there's like a level of like malaise or ennui yeah. that, that yeah. lays in, and you're like... <sighs> We got up to the Platinum League, and we got we would like regularly get up to like number one in our division. But then at that point, we were like, just that was it. That was like the plateau, and it was like, eh, I don't yeah. know if we're ever gonna get better than this. Well, Nick Herman, and there's so much better to get. Really like, there's, yeah. You know, there's so much up to go. Well, that's hard because we play. I play with uh, Nick Herman from Telltale, uh huh, and he keeps getting better mm. and better and better and more learned, mm-hmm. and that's tough. Because I'm not at all. Mm. And now I just, is he just more video game smart than me? It's your old man bones. You're old. <laughs> I'm like four years older than him. That's old. Man, in esports, that's like 80 years. I know. If I was an NFL running back, this would be my last good year. And he'd be just just settling into his prime. As goes the NFL, as goes Dota 2. <laughs> I can't even talk about that. That really bums me out, actually. And it's also the year that I broke my leg really badly, and I'm looking at like the recovery of that, and it's really getting. I'll never play football. It's not or... that. It's the fact <laughs> that like like I will never be I'll as never win the Super Bowl or the international. You know what I mean, though? Like yeah. never... my body is just dying from here on out. That's like the Lucy so now K I feel thing, like my right? Brain like you hit is thirty, dying. and then you're just that's all downhill from there. 
And I just wish I would have broken my leg at 33 when I was already just When you were already resigned. Fuck it. <laughs> but this side of 30 is you really fucking Anyway, shitty. I turned 33 in October. No, no big deal. <laughs> I know, but you don't know what it's like to still be 29, man. <laughs> it's probably true. It's fucking good. That's fine. And I ruined it. What are we talking about? What Dota. Is you? We're talking, yeah, we're talking about the inside of your mind, apparently. <laughs> I'm sorry. We went through the, like, pinhole camera that was Dota 2 and then ended up in a fucking <laughs> weird place. That's all right. I'm in a weird spot. It's you want to do some reader mail? Yeah. We got a lot, so we're... we're this was gonna Mailbag be- episode. Sem- quasi-mailbag episode. Call me quasi-mailbag. He was in the cantina in <laughs> Moss Eisley. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. You had that quasi mailbag figurine in your lunchbox? Of course. So I'm going to read this one because it just came in as I opened up my email. Dear Chris. And because it's quick. <laughs> Don't set your alarm for 8.55 p.m. <laughs> from Chris from 4 o'clock. Well, what's so funny about that is I work. set my alarm late because I'm like, I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself like a leisurely morning because uh, I, for various reasons, I've gotten a lot of sleep recently. Tomorrow? You should definitely like sleep in tomorrow. No, this was for, supposed to be for today. Oh, oh okay. And, 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 uh, <laughs> it was a pretty leisurely morning, but it was. I was like, what's going on? Did I, I did I sleep? Because the whole point of, I just got this alarm on the App Store, and the whole point of it is it's supposed to just destroy you completely until you get off your ass and, like, just, just <laughs> exert yourself physically just so you can not hear this irritating thing in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I was like, holy shit, did I actually sleep through? It was like, I'm like, I've, is that just it? Am I just, is, I'm, is it, You're unwa- un- I'm just unwake-upable. Yeah. yeah. It'll just never happen ever. I'm just going to wake well, up when I. what if the fire alarm goes off? You'd wake up. Yeah, I'm sure I would. Yeah. This thing's basically a fire alarm. My fire anyway. alarm went off at 645 or 630. This thing, this alarm is basically GLaDOS. Yes. I didn't know that when I bought it. It's really? like, yes, it starts going bam, bam, and like vibrating and shit. But then a voice, like a GLaDOS, like a straight up GLaDOS voice comes there gladys voice comes in and it's just like time to wake up and it just does all the it's you know it just says all this shit in like weird turns of phrase and like all the exact same post-processing that, that glados has that, that she has it's weird i didn't and, and now this is shitty because I'll, it it oh, sounds like cool yeah it sounds like i bought this like <laughs> fucking video game app and it wasn't i didn't even know that was a thing when i bought it the re- register that your voice hit when you said video game app. <laughs> video game app. Oh, Snugglebum, that one's for you. <laughs> God, yeah. We haven't lost you. Yeah, I'm sure Nick Brecken has heard that fucking thing in the morning. And, He's like, oh, it's Chris uh, playing it's Chris Portal in there. Fucking video game app. On his fucking telephone. All right. So anyway, there's a quick email that I want to. I just wanted to read first, just because it came in right now. Uh, Moonwalk SA or Steven says, Hi guys, long time listener, first time caller. Just wanted to say I found your Pikmin 2 versus streams on your Twitch archive and oh my god, it's amazing. That's right. I could watch you two play this game literally until I die. It's so much more exciting than traditional base building RTS games. Plus, it's cool because it's Pikmin. Please do more sometime. Anyway, that's it for this email. I could probably talk your ears off about all sorts of weird strategy or sim-like or roguelike games, uh, but kind of pointless in this. Mostly, I'd just like to see more competitive Pikmin. Steven. So would we, Steven. Just had to read, just had to, I thought that was an important email. Um, We're done with the Pikmin now, Sean. You can come back. I really like Pikmin. Pikmin today. I don't have the depth. One day. Pikmin is easy to pick up. Impossible to master. <laughs> it's the Othello of <laughs> GameCube games. Yes, it's the Othello of the GameCube. Is that really 
applied to Othello above all other that's names? That's the slogan on the box. That's the slogan Because I'm pretty sure that's classically... That's actually on the box of Othello, though. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. Oh, a minute to learn. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's I guess a minute that's to learn a lifetime the master. Yeah, I was. I was TM, thought that was Parker a chess Brothers, thing. Brothers, it's the whatever. chess master two thousand of GameCube. <laughs> is that where the pieces kill each other? No, that's Battle Chess. Chess master is the one that uh, has an old Gandalf esque man. And yeah, it and says, looking over and it says, like a glowing I'm the chess master. When you turn it on, on my two DS, it did at least. What did it say? It said, "I'm the chess master," but it was oh. in like the like Half Life One weird like Gordon Freeman that weird like like the Bart voice. The what Bart voice? voice? The, Bart voice? Bart, the Bay Area Rapid Transit. It has like that oh, really old like Bart Texas speech. It's like four, four, three, four, four. like that weird. <laughs> like oh, that's good. So on that note, let's yeah. read this email next. Alien writes, as an old guy brought up on C64 and Amiga games, I remember Half-Life being one of the first PC games to actually live up to the hype I saw in the media. Fifteen years ago, I gave up on it, having reached the first levels of Zen and its jumping rather than uh, intellectual or shooting puzzles. Today, I completed Half-Life for the first time. Well, their rough edges, the original Half-Life played in 2013 is still pretty astonishing. I believe there is very little difference between Half-Life and most of the current AAA first-person shooters in terms of the core experience. The genre that uh, the genre Half-Life revolutionized has not really advanced in that many significant ways in the last decade and a half. Playing it again made it clear to me that the advancements that developers have claimed to make in more recent games are not ones that have really advanced the experience um, in many meaningful ways. Better graphics, better engine, better anything that isn't gameplay. That stuff just sucks. Sky claims. Half-Life's Zen levels were still clunky in 2013, and plenty else was too. But while I'm sure that 15 years of FPS experience helped me through it this time around, I'm equally sure that the sum experience of the game still stands tall against most modern F- uh, against any modern FPS titles. What do you think? Fuck Nick, Steve. Um, I uh, I don't know if I agree to, like to quite the same like uh, extent he does about nothing being achieved since then, but I do, or at least nothing meaningful being achieved since then. But I do strongly agree that Half Life One. Compares very favorably I can to be, modern I shooters. I can be the old man of the podcast, surprise, mm-hmm. uh, and say that I think he's not—he's not entirely right. But in my opinion, a lot of the changes that have been made since Half Life One have not necessarily been net positive for oh, yeah, the I genre agree. of n- narrative, including games. some of the changes made in Half Life Two. Yeah, like I think I think Half Life One is probably a stronger game on balance than Half Life Two, at least for me. Half Life, yeah, the. I mean, Half-Life 1, when it came out, has the same sort of negative thing levied against it that Half-Life 2 and all subsequent Valve single-player experiences have, which is it's just a series of corridors. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in this podcast before, but just when you go back and play Half-Life 1, it feels relative to the modern like narrative corridor first-person game like an open-world game. It is not at all. No, obviously. it totally does. It feels way more opened up, even though, as, as you say, it's totally right. linear. Like, it's, it's really even, interesting. And even when you play Half-Life 2 now, relative to the yeah, Half-Life episodes... Yeah, that feels more... Yeah, exactly. And Portal, yeah. that feels more open. Yeah, like, no, it's totally true. If you true. go from Half-Life 1 to Portal 2, it's like... You're increasingly, just increasingly rigid, yeah. condensed down in where you're allowed to go. I totally agree. It's, it's odd. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of that, I think, is because of the... Ironically, I suppose, the increase in fidelity... Uh, of just straight up graphics of just how things look. It's that and people don't like when players get lost and people don't like when players go off book as far as like pacing of the experience goes and stuff. That's that's part of it. But I mean, Half-Life 1, you stay pretty on track the whole time. It's not as if you're actually getting off track. But the the story of Half-Life 1 is one man left alone in an abandoned science facility. So I think that it's more 
it doesn't get as weirdly dissonant when you just decide that you're going to crawl around in a bunch of pipes and screw with levers and stuff to figure sure. out how to dump water out of a room so you can go down a big pipe. Whereas in Half Life, in all subsequent Half Life games, you're on the run, mm-hmm. and I think Valve doesn't want you to not be on the run in any of yeah, those yeah, yeah. games. Oh. I really want Half Life Three to exist in other news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's not going. To keep keep hoping. One day we'll see. Can't even imagine what it would be. Not that it's not even worth speculating, I suppose. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> Jake and I have long conversations oh, about do you really? our proposed story for Half-Life 3. Yeah. 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 It's really we sad that we do. <laughs> we, we have, oh, no, it ends. Oh, had, it's the worst. We've, we've had a couple hours. We've sold ourselves so hard on it, too. To the point, oh, where we were in the same room as Valve people, and I could just look over at Jake or and like, I'm like, he's going to say it. He's just going to, he's going to, and while we're here, I just wanted to mention something. My Half-Life 3 fanfic. My! Like, it's really hard to not talk about all yeah. the time. Oh, Whenever I start it's thinking so about hard. Half-Life... His arms are all I, tight like that? Like, God, gonna... I don't know. <laughs> I'm such a fucking sucker for the Half-Life series. Like, that is the... Like, probably because there hasn't been a new one to sort of, like, mm-hmm. wipe the stink of uh, of what I don't like about it into into my into my perception of it at this point. Like, there's no turd in the Half-Life punch bowl of my excitement over that license. <laughs> But like, but when I think that, about when that I, metaphor doesn't work. It doesn't. No, it really doesn't. It's just because that all that punch is fucked. Then if there's right, a that's turn, what I mean. there's one there piece isn't, of there isn't a new thing that has landed on it that's just sort of diluted my entire enjoyment of it. Ice dilutes. Poop ruins. Sorry, ruins. <laughs> Not, dilutes is the wrong word. Tarnishes forever. Yeah, um, taints. I think is what taints you're, is the word you're looking for here. <laughs> Yeah, when I think about Half Life games, it's still it's one of the few things, like one of the few sort of worlds of games that still grabs my imagination. Mm-hmm. Oh, in, I feel the same way in a super this... dorky way that a lot more, or you know, just far more things used to. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, no, I mean, as much as I as as uh, you know, my comments about Half Life Two, et cetera, notwithstanding, like I still really like that game a lot. Yeah. I think and the, I have think, a lot of fondness for that series. I think the entire series, for all of the weird things that got introduced in Half-Life 2 and post, they always managed to be uh, more evocative than specific in a lot of the ways that continue to make it have a hold over your mind. Mm-hmm. And like, Totally. You're never, you don't anticipate another Half-Life game because you want to know the specific advancements of specific stories, but sort of just, yeah. there's always just a little well, bit more the, teased out of the tone that, yeah. that like it. Well, that's the, well, part of that might very well also have to do with how long it's been. I was reading a really, uh, a good article in like entertainment weekly of all places today about just fandom and like how kind of weird and, uh, like poisonous it can become like, with just how much ownership people start to take of things that, aren't even done yet in a lot of cases, like ongoing TV series that they get really defensive about and so on. And one of the things that, uh, one of the arguments that was sort of posited, it wasn't, this was a sort of an off point. It wasn't like the central thesis or anything of the article, but he was talking about how a lot of times what, what happens, it pointed specifically to series like, uh, the X files and lost, like over time, all of the weird, like kind of shit where those, like those, universes get start to get really out in the weeds about these like overly specific like mythos shit that just starts to, to start to eat itself like the farther you get away from the well, thing that stuff, that, sort of- that stuff just fades away into the background and the stuff that really sticks with you is like the emotional core of like the atmosphere and like the interesting nuances that 
made you probably like the thing in the first place as opposed to the thing that ended up sort of dragging you through the that's, final. That's actually true because rem- remembering back to when the orange box came out and you get to the end, man, Half-Life 2 Episode 2 spoilers, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think it was 2007. Yeah. But when you get to the end and they start talking about uh, the Borealis, the ship that yeah. contains all the Aperture Science and stuff, and there's that intense cliffhanger, I was like... Fuck yes, we're going to find that stupid ship. Crazy stuff's going to happen. But now, I really just kind of want to be given the opportunity to walk another few miles inside of that universe and have some mm-hmm. weird stuff happen to me in, yeah. in that specific place. And that's all that I actually... That's the, like, that's the actual that's, important that's, that's thing. That's what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in it for. Right. Whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever happens in terms of specific narrative, as long as that sort of tonal feeling is maintained, that's all that I would ever actually want. Out of Half-Life 3, please make Half-Life 3, Val, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. Yeah. Autothumbs.net. <laughs> slash idle thumbs slash go to idlethumbs.net slash idle thumbs for my half-life three theories and download <laughs> the latest episode of idle thumbs give us five stars on itunes good um did you have something to say no okay i guess to sort of continue the this like Dear emergent thumbs, train of three should totally no, ship. different oh. thing sarah argadale writes hey guys I've been thinking about this question a lot since the Double Fine panel at PAX, and I think it's relevant to the game community in general. Of all creative mediums, video games have the most fan involvement. Whether that's people posting on a forum about a game, talking to the game's creator on Twitter, or directly affecting the trajectory of a game's development, there are a ton of opportunities for fans to communicate and actually be heard. While it's exciting to be able to share your thoughts with someone who made a game you like, I have to wonder where this fan involvement will eventually lead. Even with the best intentions, fan are not always, fans are not always the greatest source for coming up with new creative ideas, especially when it comes to established stories or fictional universes. Relying on fans for ideas or input is understandably tempting, but I have to wonder if it's a good strategy for long-term game development. Fan involvement in the video game community is pretty firmly established. I can't imagine it will diminish anytime soon. How can developers make sure fans' voices don't drown out their own creative ideas, or is this even a problem developers need to worry about at all? Thanks, Sarah. You're going to go? You got <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, I, nothing that isn't completely selfish and anecdotal. I don't know. Because I was going to talk about the way you and I work together. That's fine. Oh, how I read everything on the internet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I read nothing. And I don't listen to... I mean, man, I don't listen to anything. Anything. I like that it's all out there. I like engaging the I, community. And I, I think, like... Yeah. I like... Like, I liked making stuff episodically a lot. Very, very, very much so, because I like the conversation. But I don't actually... It's... I mean, you like that the conversation exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... Well, I like engaging in it to a point, but none of it sticks. Nothing that bounces back at me other than, oh, it's cool that you like that. Oh, what didn't you like about that? As curiosity, as opposed to, like, sitting there with, like, a... Like a like a pen and paper being like, uh-huh. I think it really just sure. depends on yeah. the person because – and how you how you as a person work, how you as a specific person creative problem solve, how you process information, also just where your personal securities and insecurities are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're and, amazing at listening to everything and then not having it come into the room. Well, it's really I think, crazy. I, I, think it's, do that. I think that's just the way that I personally end up like processing and synthesizing information. I try to gain – as much knowledge and as many voices as I possibly, possibly can. Like, it's actually a it's a fault pretty often for me because it's kind of paralyzing that if I don't have if I don't feel like I have every possible piece of information on a subject, I find it very hard to actually make a confident decision and execute it. But when it comes to reading shit on the internet, 
it just all goes into the same bucket effectively with a different weighting, obviously, than like a person I'm directly collaborating mm-hmm. with. But it's not like I don't read that stuff and then go, oh, my God, and then immediately just turn around and like throw everything out. It's just like, yeah, it just all kind of goes into the bucket. Where I'm like, oh, I guess people said that. But I think I don't. I don't take what people tell me as solutions very often either. I always end up turning them into problems again in a way that kind of fucks me sometimes. But um, that wasn't actually what I was going to say at the beginning of this. I think um, also just there are people who grew up as dorks on the internet reading web forums. And those people are very, very, very familiar with the dynamics of how those spaces work. And there are people who did not and to whom... You're talking about like developers or people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Deve- like there are people in game development yeah, yeah, who, yeah. like, not even necessarily as fans, but just sort of being a really, really active contributor, or like even to the point of running a community online is a thing that is a part of their sort of just personal identity, almost to a certain degree. And I, I imagine, at least speaking entirely for myself, that that makes it easier to not have an emotional attachment to stuff that people say about your work as much because yeah, you sort of you understand the ways in which it's, it's ephemeral like, oh and you're like yeah it's it's maybe dismissive but it is really easy to filter people into buckets of like you're that guy who does that thing on the internet and that means you can be dismissed outright and you're that guy who does that other thing which means you want a certain thing but you don't know how to articulate it or mm-hmm. oh this is genuinely an excellent suggestion you know mm-hmm. like it's sure yeah. i don't know it's when people are just straight up hating on your stuff, that's a different situation, I think. That's a completely different emotional place. But when it's just people weirdly, like, sort of kibitzing and, like, armchair suggestorizing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, uh, Sarah mentions that games are, like, the most apt to receive that. But I think I feel like the end of Lost totally got fucked by the fans. I think. Yeah, I think that was an unusual example. I think, though. I think that was large, singled like, out the, as a weird biggest, thing. Like yeah. fan to creator involvement in all popular media mm-hmm. right now. Games are probably the biggest. But then like genre TV, any any other popular medium that can be prefaced with the word genre has that. Like if there can be a Comic Con panel about it. Yeah, basically, I <laughs> yeah. think that's about like genre television, genre fiction, and like big temple genre films have that same thing. And genre fiction probably less so though, because there's only like most of the time the number of people working on it is very small or just one. Right, so if those people don't have a direct... potentially more toxic, though. But if those people have a direct conduit, but often they don't. Right. Well, I mean, I a, a, good, a good example would have been, like, J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter. The thing is, J.K. Rowling didn't interface with her fans that At much. All. Right. But the fans were nuts. Like, there wasn't a lot of back and forth, but I imagine if you're anyone involved in Harry Potter that isn't J.K. Rowling... That was nuts to have to deal with. Like, oh, I'm sure. But it, but I guess I guess I'm thinking more of the like two way street part of it yeah. than, than just than just people like talking a lot about it or being vo- vocal about it. Yeah. Because yeah. I, th- I think the two way street part is where games are really overrepresented. Like if, even if you just look at kicks, the way game Kickstarters operate versus other kinds of Kickstarters, like games were super minor on it compared to like film Kickstarters or, or music Kickstarters for a long time. And then suddenly once a sort of template emerged, I guess may, may, mainly from through double fine, um, like it's exploded yeah. since then. And like, I, I think once people realize that was a thing that could happen with games, it has in a way that it hasn't for any other non game thing. Like it's been crazy to see the before and after on that. And I think it's because games are so at least at this point in history are so tilted in that direction that when a method of funding 
occurred that is basically tailor made for that. It just caught on yep. instantly. That's whatever it's what people in games want, right? Like, I mean, it's it's just games are interactive by nature. That can't be that like it can't be entirely different. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't explain it all, but but I'm there's got to be some part of it that is related to that. Yeah, probably. There are things you interact with constantly. Like there are things you do physically. But like I think that's part of it, and I think the other part of it is the way that games are digested critically is really, really, really about breaking things down piecemeal. Yeah, it's very really, evaluative. Really about, yeah, 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 totally. Like game criticism often is armchair game design. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what they should have done is a, is a surprisingly common, not literally literal refrain, but kind of mm-hmm. sentiment in game criticism that you just don't see in other mediums. Well, and think. it's a lot of like this meets that. Yeah. Like it's like this crossed with that. Like it's sort of trying to break apart a thing. There's and, a lot of meets, meets, meets. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of meets, meets, meets. Man, I was going to start Andy Rooneying about game Kickstarters, but I'm not going to. I should <laughs> do another reader mail. Okay. Let's find another reader mail. Jake's, Jake's simmering here. There's a lot to say. I guess. Nick Brecken. <laughs> do, 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 do. It's um, hot in here. I'm sitting in a different seat. I just don't know. Yeah, it's a weird, weird vibe. Yeah, we're not doing this again. <laughs> this you don't like it over there? Nope, not one bit. It's a pretty comfortable seat over there. I like and it. It's fine. I like my spot. Uh, Stieg writes, I've been playing Dota 2 on my Mac. It brings back fond memories of my first experience with Dota Likes, the Xbox arcade edition of Monday Night Combat, which in my opinion was a pretty fun game. I sure played the heck out of it. But Monday Night Combat always had me thinking, has anyone attempted a realistic military version of an FPS MOBA, a MOBA set in a Call of Duty or Battlefield setting, where the human players escort a high grunts through the lanes, oh my god, taking cover to have shootouts with the other team's grunts, taking out the fortified gun towers along the way as they each attempt to sack the opponent's headquarters. The focus on boots on the ground could create vistas of the true horror of war. Fronts would be visualized with squads of creeps parked along the ridges. It would adapt well to World War I setting of trench warfare. Player characters could be officers leading a squad of four computer grunts around the field. When the player's grunts are taken out of commission, the player can enlist a few more from the stock of grunts to march in the lane. Players could spend points to upgrade their squads, reinforce trenches or turrets, bomb certain bridges, etc. I see a number of reasons why this is complex to accomplish. Uh, perhaps rendering the dozens of creeps on screen with FPS expectations of fidelity. Perhaps balance issues too complex... Uh, human players could headshot grunts immediately. Um, the amount of grunts on the field could keep players from going lone wolf and Rambo all the time. Perhaps players would be adverse to limiting teams to eight to four humans to account for the dozens of creeps littering the field and other considerations of ignored like vehicles. Mobile modes in military FPSs seem like a natural evolution of horde and zombie modes. It would certainly be effective at creative the horrible vista of war. Best thumbs, Stieg Redlin. Um, that doesn't seem that unlikely for a thing that someone no, I know. to put in as yeah. a multiplayer. Also, but I kind of disagree with the... The, the challenges, I, I also do. No, not even... The, uh, whatever. Like, I mean, we can people can figure it out. Technical challenges, I have no doubt that a bunch of brilliant people can always overcome. I have trouble saying that this highly tuned... Like, this hypothetical, big-budget, highly tuned, uh, competitive game would come anywhere close to making a comment about war. <laughs> oh, no, it absolutely wouldn't. Yeah. You can't. Anything that you repeat, anything that's designed to be really disposable kind of, like yeah. that. I mean, it's like the fact that creeps are actual humans right. that are like enlisted men. Like you turn, you did. Right. You, you kind of made that comment in the middle and then again at the end. Yeah. And I was like, eh, no, no, that, yeah. that part I don't think would happen. Like I think, because yeah, I mean, there's something dehumanizing about war that is interesting and terrifying and worth talking about, but not in the way video games do it which I is think, rote and like right, yeah. you know very you know i think the closest you could get to having that actually work in a way that occasionally was maybe thematically affecting would still end up being ridiculous which would be if you if you tried to do a like 
The Running Man or Smash TV style treatment on it, where it would, like there's there's no way that you could make the rule set of a MOBA not feel like a sport. So if you then right. made it a sport that was about wasted human right. life, maybe you'd be able to like get the Hunger Games. Yeah, or yeah, I mean, like The Running Man or yeah. Smash TV or Smash yeah. TV or The Hunger Games. The Hunger <laughs> Games would be a hilarious MOBA. <laughs> Hunger Games MOBA. <laughs> If what? that was the licensed Hunger Games game, that would be so weird. If it was would just that as hardcore as, as or Dota? like, what are the kids playing? There's huge money in these mobas. <laughs> That's about people running around Have the woods. Have you seen Hunger the Hunger Games? Games? Have you seen the no, movie? I haven't. It's really entertaining. I'm it's sure it's not is. dumb. I, I didn't claim it was. It's fucking intense. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a different kind of intense than the kind of intense that a, a, a MOBA, is, like a it's fucking a, Lord's There's something about game the is. way that the movie is rendered from this like super stylized surrealist future mm-hmm. to just kids in a field hurting each other that is right. really affecting. Oh no, I, I believe you, but I mean that's fictional yeah, intensity. That's not like mechanical intensity where you have to just be a robot to play it. No, no, no. But the, the point is, is like I think it, it would theme and mechanic would find their home. Oh, sure, as a, sure. In a thunder, okay. yeah, thunder, yeah. Yeah, Hunger Games, right. Thunder in Games, the Thunderdome, in the, the thunder, Hunger yeah. Games, Thunderdome. Yeah. Oh God! The Hunger Games Thunderdome, a, a Lord's management game. Well, I don't want to make I that. Know what I'm going to spend the next four years of my life on? <laughs> Who's with me? <laughs> yeah. God, the military thing is gross. To When's think the last about? time you played a war game like that? I didn't play Call of Duty. I call. I didn't. Oh, play... you mean like a not like a war game, like a strategy war? I would game, say but just a... a war, like like a war game where people getting shot was the guy who directed the Hunger Games movie directed Big Fact. Wow. That's all. It's the happiest I've seen you all day. Uh, and Seabiscuit. Okay. That's all. That's definitely a type. That's definitely a type of director. Yeah, The Hunger Games is the weird one in there. Anyway, um, sorry, what were you saying about something? Like, no, no, that's just what that kind of director yeah. does now, because everything now is gritty. You know what I mean? Like, the, it totally, it, I totally... Yeah, that's what he means. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, oh, Big Seabiscuit, Pleasantville. I'm just saying it's the person who... The Hunger Games. It's the person who makes the line. big, like, tent pole. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Like, it's the big tent pole, like, entertainment films, and just right now, the era we're in, that kind of thing is the Hunger Games. Like, that's the thing that everyone wants to make, because they know it's It's funny, because it's Jennifer Lawrence, who was originally in Winter's Bone, and this Hunger Games starts in sort of like an Ozarks-like... I'm sorry, mining he came- wrote Big... Mm. He did not direct Big. Mm. He also wrote Mr. Baseball. With was that uh, Mole was in that? What's his name? No, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck's in that. Okay, that's yeah. who. That's who you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what the hell were you you're asking about? me when I last played a war game? And I was just trying to clarify. Did you what played you Company meant by of Heroes game. two? No, I actually haven't. I played Company yeah. of Heroes one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but I'm trying to think. That's like the last one I would have played that kind of yeah. came out. That was yeah. So you're including both what, like first person shooters and like strategy game war games or something where like a human being is well rendered on screen dying in a realistic conflict. Yeah. Oh, that's what spec I would ops, do. I guess. That's kind of weird. Again, okay. it's pretty bonkers, but Yeah, yeah, it's a little bonkers, but yeah. it's not it's trying to still be. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fictional, but like, yeah. That's yeah. the last game you played that was like that? I think so. I've yeah. I it's hard for me to want to play games in that category these days so yeah. i don't i don't play them very often i think you lose a palette for it because i played a lot of modern warfare the first one i did too i played a lot of the first modern warfare yeah, yeah. I, but i yeah i agree i think you i think it's easy to become pretty sensitized yeah exactly like <laughs> yeah. in a way that i don't want like i don't i don't know it's really yeah. Hmm. yeah games 
Do you want to do one more? Sure. Three more? Like seven more. <laughs> uh, wow. Someone sent us from a mobile text an email. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Keep in mind, you live in SF, so that bizarre incident on the train might have been performance art. End of email. <laughs> true. Very that's well, true. That's true. Very well could have been. The guy could have met the other guy at the next stop and just like done a bow yeah, and right. see. Someone <laughs> else pointed out a thing which is potentially true, which is that guy could have actually just suffered an insane nosebleed. And yeah. the guy, the guy got up and just said, "Your nose is bleeding like crazy." Yeah. And the guy went <gasps> and walked out. <laughs> that could have been what happened. Yeah, I. Th- it's totally true. That is what could have happened. It's still weird to me that they didn't exchange words. But but who knows? I don't know. I, I really don't know what happened. Nosebleed. Once every, also, like, once every like two years, like seasonally, I just get a crazy nosebleed. Oh really? And if someone just tapped me on the shoulder, that would be all that it would take because my hand would just be covered in blood, and then mm-hmm. I probably would just get off the train, and I would, <laughs> you know. No, that's fair. That's that's yeah, yeah. It's that that's entirely possible. That may well have been what happened. I don't know. I saw there was a few posts on it on the on the forums, and someone had a like a counter argument why that probably wasn't the case, but I don't remember what it is. Because that but, guy probably kicked the shit out of that other guy. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I, I have no idea. Uh, Yusef Cole writes, Hey, Thumbs, the discussion about Netrunner in last week's episode and how high-level players might try bluffing each other was pretty interesting. Bluffing is a tactic used in many card and board games, but I was wondering how often it shows up in the less face-to-face experience of playing online multiplayer video games. What immediately comes to mind is Assassin's Creed multiplayer, in which each player is a target and is themselves a target. Survival strategies often involve aping the movements and behaviors of surrounding non-player characters in an effort to trick pursuers into thinking you're just a harmless AI. Bluffing is thus built into the very mechanic of the game. Spy Party appears to have a similar strategy of play. Are there other examples of bluffing in spite of the anonymous nature of online multiplayer games? Thanks, Yumi Yu. God damn it, I hate to say it. What? Multiplayer Pikmin. Yes. Multiplayer Pikmin, it, it does. You guys do this thing. all the time where you like move your camera to a, like a completely other yeah. part of the board. It's different because it's think. not online, but yeah. It's, but it, you're, you're bluffing because it's single screen, it's single screen, split screen multiplayer. Yeah. So you're, you're bluffing, sort of you're bluffing with your camera happen. framing. Yeah. Uh-huh. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's like a, it adds a crazy amount of probably unintentional depth to that game. And I used to do that in like Halo and GoldenEye. I was going to say Halo 1 do. was the other big example yeah, of that for me. Yeah. Where you pick up a gun and you immediately switch away from it because right. you know the other person's going to look on your screen. I'm if to they think about when that happens in multiplayer stuff. I mean, there's dumb things like super... No, oh, also, you know what I do in Halo 1 all the time? So my friends and I... God, Halo 1, same screen, like four-player split-screen multiplayer is by far some of the most memorable multiplayer experience I've ever maybe the most memorable multiplayer I've ever had mm-hmm. in my life and I'm, we do do all kinds of crazy shit we never we rarely played Slayer if we did it was Team Slayer but we rarely even did that we always played just the wacky multiplayer modes like Team King mm-hmm. and the Skull or like Oddball I think it was called um, all that crazy shit so a lot of the games we played were based around locations on the map mm-hmm. or like hiding like if you have the ball in Oddball you and so we would do things you know you do things like if you have the Skull in Oddball and you're in, and no one knows where you are. Right at this moment, you just get right up to a wall and like smash yourself into the wall texture. Right. It's like, well, I don't know where I, I am. I was just going to like say just that, shit yeah. like that, I like used weird to slide things my like that. Face across the wall and golden all the time, knowing that I was about to come around a corner that I already had mapped <laughs> in my head. Just right. Like, oh, just keep yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, we got so. I'm sure I've talked about this before, but it's such a pleasant memory that I don't, I don't give a shit. Uh, the like, we would play two v two in Halo One, and we played it so much. That we knew each other so well, like we, depending on what configuration 
there were of us, like what four of us were there at any given moment, like we would just automatically form into teams because we knew out of any four people, like, oh, right, well, these two guys always play together. Mm -hmm. So that's a team. Like it was, we played, we all knew each other's dynamics so well that we would just automatically team Mm -hmm. up in specific ways. And it was like developing fucking telepathy. You know, you just do the craziest Mm -hmm. shit with, because you knew you couldn't talk. Or if you did, it had to be very vague. But like, you know, you couldn't like share strategies. So you just had to develop this like ridiculously pointless, but really fun like bond with another person's brain uh, that was executing itself like really, really fast in real time in a, in like a multiplayer video game environment. Mm-hmm. God, that was such, it was such a like a unique weird thing that I've never experienced replicated in an online multiplayer game. Cause as soon as Halo two came out, like we all just played online and that was it. Right. I'm sorry, Jake. I don't remember what I was going to say. Uh, I keep doing this to you guys. No, it's okay. Um, Oh, I was just going to talk about dumb games that are like the simpler version of disguise yourself as an AI, which are like popular multiplayer first popular, like novelty first person mods, like the quake two mod where mm. you're in a warehouse full of crates yeah. and everyone is a crate. And then, <laughs> oh, one, right, and then yeah. one person is a crate with, with a machine gun coming out of it. Yeah. Or, uh, there's a mod for team fortress two called prop hunt where everyone just spawns as an inanimate object. So you have to just try to find a place where like the shadow will cast over <laughs> you to make you look right and crouch yeah, yeah. and, uh, hope the other person doesn't set you on fire and that's it. Mm-hmm. Those are those are not the same. Those not like person versus person bluffing as right. much as just like yeah crouching. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Besides the Assassin's Creed thing and Spy Party, are there other? I don't I'm, know. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure there are other ones. But we talked about. Might have been when we talked about the ship last. Oh, the ship. The ship. Yeah, I love the ship. Forgot to give those codes away. We got to stand in the cabin with the mouse. <laughs> we gonna do one more? Oh yeah, let's do huh? one. last one. This is the last email. Where's <laughs> that cyborg? Mm-hmm. Cyborg. Cytex. Oh man! To go back to a previous, to go off a different fork of a previous email, Simon Hartman writes, "Hi guys, long time reader here. Thanks for making life better. Thumbs up." Anyway, he was a little thumbs up icon there. That's nice. I was wondering how you guys deal with the, is- the issue of classic internet conversation. I used to engage with people heavily on forums, etc., and would often get involved in heated debate, which was just stressful. Now I avoid, now I avoid discussions which are going to be polarized or non-constructive. I often type a reply, leave it for a while, then delete it. Works great on a few levels. I feel like I have a better time now. But I also feel like when someone's uh, flaming or being racist, sexist, or annoying or whatever, they should get called on it. If the only people posting on the internet are loudmouth, the ruthless loudmouths, what are we left with? Also, I would feel obliged to stand up. If I feel obliged to stand up for someone in real life, shouldn't I feel the same way online? What do you guys think and do in similar situations? Cheers from New Zealand, Simon. I say things that I probably shouldn't on the internet. I get my ire up sometimes. No, you're good. Eh. You don't. You, you've been falling eh. down the rabbit Jake, hole. Jake, you get into like indignant mode occasionally, you. but you don't. You rarely get into like just fucking two-fisted brawls right i mean no i i I more often did in the past i think i was Mm. more vitriolic dude at this point i try like i post on twitter a lot and me too twitter has taken the place of most of that for me at this point though what i end up usually saying is this is probably a conversation that's not worth having on twitter um i most recently started talking with uh with chuck about the penny arcade stuff because we totally disagreed but it was in a way that i think is actually really interesting because his viewpoint on all that stuff is not dissimilar to mine but also different enough there's Mm -hmm. a lot to talk about and 
using an email is very nice as opposed to using the internet at large, sure. which is my yeah, yeah. usual venue for disagreeing with someone. So, uh-huh. yeah, I don't like arguing in public. You know, like in yeah. life in general. Sure. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. very similar to me. You know, yeah. like where it's like, ah, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I probably, have, really... I think I probably have gone through a similar trajectory to Jake, except that at this point, I'm, I think even less likely to engage at this point. Like I post on the Idle Thumbs forums. Um, at this point, that's become my main like recreational yeah, posting same. venue. Um, I read them every day, and I, I've at this point like I've just gotten into a habit. Like if something's going in a direction that I'm not super stoked about, I'll just kind of stop paying attention to it. Which yeah, I, it's an interesting point because that this because this guy brings up the notion of like, well, that's not necessarily You're making, allowing them that conversation to yeah. optimize towards things which that is may an, be yeah. disagreeable. Which is an interesting which is an interesting point. Like you know, there's sort of a meme that's been going around the internet for like I don't know like year or two now the like notion of just don't read the comments um which i think is really interesting because i think it's one of those sentiments that on a person-to-person level is really good and probably helpful to your life but on a like broad level is a bad attitude for everybody to take or especially for like site operators to take because it in with enough weight behind it it just means comments and forums will devolve into just being like unfettered cesspools. Right. Like someone needs to care enough to read the comments and like just force things to be on track no matter how shitty it is. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the way comments are technologically built sort of trends towards get there first, say something big, and then have everybody just reply and fight with you. So – it's so hard to like. Even yeah, go. but I, I mean, I think that's sure. I think that's, I think that's fundamental to its like. I, I it might it might be all else equal, but I, but I think there's a lot of things in society that would be like that if we didn't have like laws or social structures and things, right? Like I think Kotaku has made a pretty concerted effort to improve the quality of discourse in their forums, and they're de- it's definitely an uphill battle they're fighting. Mm-hmm. But I think it's tangibly tangibly improved things like in a significant way. Like I think it demonstrates that it's probably better if you do have a platform like that where you actually are a major site that no matter what anyone thinks about it, there are going to be a lot of people reading your comments. Like doesn't, you know, doesn't matter how many JPEGs you send out that say, don't read the comments with a funny picture on it. Like right. people are going to read the comments. And I think given that's true and given that if you run a website like that, it's going to be on your server, whether you like it or not, it's probably better to take a heavier hand, like at least err on that side of things. And I think they have demonstrated that it's possible to at least improve it. And I'm sure there's a long way to go, but it's part of that's also because they had years of not improving it for, you know, that just reinforced itself. Um, I think one of the things that I really liked is um, more thoughtful. Recently, it seems like there's been a trend towards at least somewhat more thoughtful um, consideration as to does this particular content or site even need a comment section? Right. Like I think being smart about where like the New York times website is interesting because there are comments on like the blog stuff on that website, but not on a lot of just core news content, right. which I think is really great. Same. I think that's like really smart. And I, I think it's an advantage that kind of old media has in that they actually ha- think of there being a distinction between those two things where right. I think a lot of people who are kind of born and bred on the internet would say, well, no, there's no different. It's all just content. Um, and I think it's inter- like that may well be true in they- some absolute sense, but I think there's value to considering them differently for some purposes. I think the internet's become increasingly comfortable in that because there is the weird meta layer on top of the internet now of like Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. Tumblr. Like there's, mm-hmm. you can trust 
you can trust that people are going to talk about your content not on your site in a way that you didn't used to right. be able to. Or at least, I think there's sort of a weird like like elliptical curve of that because I think when the internet when early on internet the assumption was you will discuss someone's stuff on your own site and you will let them know that by linking to them and then that kind of pooped itself. But now right. there's sort of a systemized method for like talk about this article on wherever you want. We will know confidently that you're talking about it because we can tell where the traffic's coming from because we're also there. We have the, that presence there. And I think that that's part of why that movement is happening, I think. I don't know if that's entire. I mean, that's obviously not the only reason, but I think, yeah, I think it's part that's, of it. letting, that's letting people sort of exhale and sort of let go of the feeling the need to own every yeah. single aspect of their community on their site the way that people wanted to 10 years ago. Uh-huh. I think that's probably true. Also, you know, I think it's just there's an acknowledgement probably that um, – any one site is less likely to control an entire community right. than it was five yeah, years ago, 10 years ago. You're better off having a vibrant conversation about your content on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook than you are having a mediocre, like half dead community on your website that right. you can't maintain and mm-hmm. actually foster correctly. Yep. Internet. Internet. On that note, the idle forums are a great place to hang out. <laughs> they are. I like them so much because you don't have to worry about most of that stuff most of the time. They're just really good. Lots of nice people. forums at their worst are still pretty great. Yeah. They're still pretty decent. And at mm-hmm. their best, they're amazing. You yeah. know what's a really great thing what? Um, on Twitter? What? The Idle Thumbs Twitter account, at Idle Thumbs. <laughs> you should follow that if you want to find out about um, episodes. About when... <laughs> and occasional weird retweets. When the podcast <laughs> that you already have probably automatically downloading appears. Soup. There's tips and tricks. Cheats. Codes. Uh-huh. Porn on there sometimes. Every once in a while, if one of those bots gets in there, starts filling her up. <laughs> if our account gets hacked, there's yeah. porn on it. Yeah, I guess uh-huh. that's true. You can wait for that. That's pretty exciting, yeah, right? It might happen someday. Yeah, I don't think it's happened before ever on the Idle Thumbs. No, it hasn't. Please don't hack our account. Let <laughs> me go check the Idle Thumbs Twitter account strenuously over the next few days. But the dong bros. It's funny that those we we kind of talked about this briefly when we were playing that game, but um, at last, at last, yeah, the with the with, right with the Dong Bros in it, that mm-hmm. game probably wasn't rated by the ESRB, right? Because it just came out on Steam, right? That's really interesting. Like those that's a, Dong Bros were not ESRB approved. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is that bef- before the real advent of kind of the ability to reach a broad audience with an indie game on a service like steam mm-hmm. um you you just never would have been able to make content like that in a game of that level of visual fidelity right because right. if you were making a game of that level of visual fidelity you would need it meant you would need, you would be selling it at retail because right. your budget would be above a certain amount that means you're going through the esrb but like that's not a that game is not a prurient game like it's not a no. it's not like an ex- really exploitative at least not sexually exploitative um, game that you that really would need, not that any game needs it, but like you know that that isn't that it would be a, it would be you'd be pretty sidetracked right. talking about like whether that content can be in like a game rated what are, what are games even rated M for mature M or right M or T or N or adults only whatever the thing is like it doesn't really matter it's kind of irrelevant in the context of what that game is right um, but I don't know probably even five years ago 
you you would have uh, the developer making that game that would have they would have probably just ended up saying fuck it we're not even going right. to bother it's a pain in the ass just going to say yeah it's funny and then now you just be like yeah no here are oh, the guys are bring them in the game this yeah. is what they say there's yeah. no question of like right, well exactly. hold on I think dongs are there. I think sort of right. weird very non sexual but unsettling male nudity could actually like, I think this does map to film reasonably well because I think I guess not in the unrated way but I think in really really funky only plays in a tiny movie theater horror movies mm. you you could get maybe not that level of it but close and you maybe could probably, not the bros but you'd get one you get it you could have you could have one out <laughs> and then one cheek yeah and like a cheek didn't uh am i am i remembering this oh didn't? man some guy got depantsed in the kansas city chiefs game this weekend Saw his full butt on on screen. He was good. <laughs> Saw his full. And then they butt. kept they oh because there was a sack. It was like a it was like a big play. Wow. They kept showing it. They showed this guy's butt four times. Because it was like, a sack. Yeah, it was a sack. So they showed his it's butt. A giant ass. Ah. It was so big. Sorry. That's good. fine. You were going to end this podcast with the final remark. Oh no! It was it was about it was nothing. Oh, it was about dong bros. <laughs> Yeah, I can't, oh, I can't remember actually. Oh, was, was it about the Dong Bros or about that guy's butt Sean saw on TV? Well, he hadn't said that yet, so it probably wasn't about that. But let's oh, let's say it was. Too bad. Let's say it was about that guy's butt. God, did you guys see the gif of the fucking pitcher catching? What I guess would have probably oh, and then the guy saying, "Did you catch that the mouth in the pitcher?" Oh yeah, that was that yeah. guy was Troy Tulowitzki of yeah. the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like that handstand twerking gif where the girl falls into oh the my fire. <laughs> gif talk. And thank you for listening, you guys. Good night. I think it's gif talk. It's Fired. gif talk with Mr. Gif. Video games. The mailbag nature episode. We're just sitting here underneath this. Mailbag sirens episode. <laughs> Maybe not. No, oh, there'll be no. What if it's the most? Screen. What if it's the most peaceful night? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Can't get any better than that. Nobody can hear. That. In case some guy floats by our third-story window, it'll beatboxing. Sound, it'll sound way better. There won't be as many. What'll be? The, oh gosh. What are the odds that that will be the night we put the mic in the window? <laughs> we get that spectral beatboxer. This is a bad idea. I hate myself.